This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hacia, whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at HACIAWorks.org. Welcome. You are listening to Nerdette Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Sagal. I am Greta Johnson. And I'm Trisha Bobita. Back from the woods is Peter Sagal. I was far away in a complicated place. I'd explain (laughs) it, but you wouldn't understand. I'm Bran! Oh no! That's going to be my attitude from now on. I'm just going to stare at you all with no expression and say, it's complicated. Oh man. I said so. I look forward to talking more about Bran. But first, (laughs) two things before we begin. Number one, after the season finale of Game of Thrones, the three of us are hosting a wrap party on Wednesday, August 30th in Chicago's Lincoln Square neighborhood. There will be beverages and show-related snacks, which I don't even know what that means, but it's going to be great. I was just about to say, are there snacks yeah, in Westeros? Yeah, there, yeah, people, yeah. Are there people... Oh, these books are full of food yeah, references. Well, they're full of are food. Snackers. Tyrion Thank contemplated the Blackwater Reach while he ate a few chips. Anywhere, see that. <laughs> anyway, there will also be general merriment, and we would love for all of you to come. You can find out more at wbez.org slash events. I am also taking suggestions for my cosplay, oh, yeah. and let's just accept Varys as a given. Oh, man. I, really I know. Everybody wants Daenerys. everybody. You want me to be? Yes. <laughs> Peter, Obviously. I have in my Amazon cart right now oh, good. a Daenerys wig. Yeah, <laughs> man, you. I'm pretty oh, sure you we're moving say, forward on that. I, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very long story, but I once did drag a long time ago. And nobody needs to see that. <laughs> I mean, there's like, there, there, for, for some guys doing drag, there's attractive. That's not me. There's amusing. Yeah, maybe also like charming, quaint. There's horrifying. Mm. That's me. Well, I think we all need to see for ourselves. Okay. Item of business number two. We got a memo from the higher-ups. Trisha, I think you're going to handle this one. Yeah, so as you know, we sprung for some highly produced, exceptionally expensive special audio effects to help us go from location to location this season. Um, but the bosses upstairs have notes, as they tend to have, mm-hmm. and they liked where we were going, but wanted us to go in a new direction. <laughs> oh. So we've scrapped our Mortal Kombat sounds. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, and now we have something that maybe hopefully sounds a little more fresh. So with that in mind, let's begin our recap of Season 7, Episode 3 of Game of Thrones. This episode was called The Queen's Justice. <laughs> Dragonstone. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, oh god. Wow. It's like it's oh yeah, go to those give me that old time Westerosi blues. Oh my gosh, if anything ever felt less like Dragonstone. Oh my god. I, that I met the red woman at the crossroads. I sold my soul. <laughs> oh, man. I don't think so. Wetdorn 2.0. You guys, were you ready for that introductory scene to just be John strolling up on the beach? I had to, I was like, I'm not ready for this. Really? Like it's like you weren't emotionally prepared. You've only been waiting yeah, seven man, I years. Know. Well, that's the thing. I didn't think we'd actually get a payoff that quickly. That oh. never happens in Game of Thrones. You figured it'd take an episode and a half. Yeah, for, for sure. Just, I thought it was like maybe at the end it. of episode three, John would be like halfway there rowing the boat, you know? They don't have anything else to do. Uh, <laughs> Here I we mean, are. I mean. Uh, I, I, by the way, we have to spend a little time um, discussing last week's episode because I didn't get to. Oh, do we? And, uh, yes, and, and <laughs> we, nothing is nothing I think is we're considered have to put a final. Patriarchy jingle and, right in there. Nobody cares, <laughs> yeah. but it never really stops him. Is Peter still fucking talking? I think that's a really accurate selection. You guys too. missed an important but subtle point about oh, last week's tell episode. Us. It was terrible. Oh. It was a bad episode, mainly because it was so filled with killing time. And a lot of other things, but yeah. there speechifying. Were, yeah, and speechifying and peeling off grayscale at great length and sex at greater length than even <laughs> I needed. So um, I think that with all that killing of time in last episode, it was nice that they finally got down to it in this. I just keep wondering every time somebody's rowing near Dragonstone if they're just going to come across <laughs> Robert's. Living bastard. Gendry. 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 Who's the only one who knows how to work with Valyrian steel, for the record. It's going to come in quite handy eventually. I think he's going to end up at that motel where that character from Breaking Bad got left. He's just going to pull up. (laughs) What are you doing here? I don't know. 
<laughs> Moving oh on. Oh my gosh, the lingering looks between Tyrion Lannister and Jon Snow in that initial scene when they're like, oh, the bastard, oh, the whatever, and then they just like stare at each other and smile. Yeah, and, and there was also a moment where almost, where it was it was like, oh yes, last time I saw you, you were on the wall. Yes, you were peeing off it. Uh-huh. it I, only, I almost wish that one of them had said, well, previously on Game of Thrones, <laughs> I saw you... <laughs> There was a lot of there was a lot of little there was, this whole episode was filled with winking and nodding to yeah, viewers. Yeah. But yes, we know you saw that and we know what you thought about that and here's our thoughts about that. And then there was an Aaron Sorkin style walk and talk all the way up that oh, narrow yeah, for staircase, sure. yes, for which sure. Steve Johnson of the Tribune calls the walkway of great length. <laughs> <laughs> and Davos and Tyrion met, which was adorable and surprising. It was, that was one of those like, oh yeah, I guess you guys didn't know each other, did yeah, you? Yeah, I guess not. Although Tyrion, because he's well informed, knew. That oh, Davos of course, was the they, yeah, they both knew. Also, each other. Tyrion is the one responsible for the death of Davos's son, but he played that cool. Mm-hmm. Sons. Sons, yeah. yeah. Davos lost, right, I believe, right. all of his children, and Davos seemed okay with that. Also, anybody notice that Missandei glow she had? She oh, yeah. seemed, she seemed she very little, relaxed. Very relaxed. You know? A little, you know, a, a little, uh, she, I mean, if, in other words, if they had had cigarettes in uh, West yeah, Coast, exactly. she might be smoking Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. She seemed to feel pretty good. Yeah. If she was, if she was Ron Swanson, she would have been dressed as Tiger Woods. <laughs> <laughs> I also just really wanted the two of them, and really anyone who was on any of these Dragonstone cliffs, to just bust out a lightsaber. It mm. just it called for it, I yeah. felt, well, in terms yeah. of how they had everyone sort of artfully, you know, dis- distanced arranged, from each other yeah. and arranged. Yeah. It was it was very cinematic. Um, this is a place to mention something that I think is generally a problem, but have you noticed how charmingly avuncular Davos has become in almost mm. every moment? Yeah. You know, like when he says to Miss Ende, oh, where are you from? <laughs> oh, I don't know the accent. Oh, I've never been there. Well, <laughs> I thought of this when I first saw the the second um, Pirates of the Caribbean movie. But what I was struck by, imagine if you went on it. I know this is going to take a while. Imagine <laughs> it, it always does. Imagine if you went on a date with somebody, right? And mm-hmm. you liked that person because they were charming and they told jokes. And then you said to the friend who set up the date, hey, I like that guy. He, he was charming. He told a lot of jokes. And then your friend tells the guy that that's what you said. Oh, yeah. And so the next time you see him, he's telling jokes. He's, he's got hamming jokes. it up. He's hamming it up because he found out that's what you like. Yeah. And I honestly think that something like that is taking place. We love Davos because he's avuncular and funny and laid back. And so, boy, is he avuncular and funny and laid back. <laughs> and all of the characters, it seems, not just Davos, are behaving in a way that reflects what we all have appreciated about them. Mm-hmm. Cersei is being really, really evil, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And, it, and, and John is being noble and speechifying and northerly. And Tyrion is quoting his own self now. Exactly. Yeah. And wryly. And everybody's being wry and there's byplay. It's as if, yeah, we all like this when you didn't know we liked it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Also, the moment when Tyrion reassures John that he didn't sleep with Sansa. Yes. I didn't ask. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did like the line, like, she's smarter than she lets on. She's letting letting on. Good. Good. So what did you guys think of the long-awaited-for, I'll even say, consummation of this uh, Is John Ever Going to Meet Danny? That long scene. I thought Danny was a child in that scene. Yeah, (laughs) man. She had seemed like she was getting smarter. Like, when she listened to to, uh, Lady Olena, when she did other things... But she sort of was petulant on that throne in a way that I found a little obnoxious, especially the moment where instead of sort of, uh, again, and maybe this is just because they actually have them standing really, really far apart from each other in the room, so they all have to kind of shout to talk to each other. Yeah. Yeah. But the fact that she said to Tyrion, I thought you liked this guy in sort of full voice instead of like whispering to her hand or having a quiet moment with him, the fact that it was all sort of like at full volume across this hall felt a little weird to me that that's how Danny would react to all of this information in real time. Whereas John, I thought, was actually more John than yeah. we've maybe ever seen him. Yeah, I think A it little was... braver than we've maybe ever seen him outside of battle also. Yeah. It was fun to see John outside of the context of the North because then it was sort of like he was the most John just because he wasn't there anymore, I think. It's like how you're the most Alaskan when you're not in Alaska. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Trisha, I thought your term petulant was really good. I think in general with this season so far, it's as if the showrunners... I mean, obviously, they know the plot points that they have to hit. Yeah. And they're doing that, but it, it feels sloppy to me. Or it feels lazy every time. And this was one of those examples where it just seemed... 
it felt lazy to me. It felt a little obvious. Lazy you know? isn't the right word, I think. But by the time we're finished talking about that episode, we'll probably come up with it because that the quality you know, that you're talking about, yeah, which just, I know what you mean, like slapdash or perfunctory, something. perfunctory. How's Maybe that? that's yeah. what it is. Yeah, there are a lot of plot elements that just happened because they had to happen, right? Right. But not in a particularly satisfying or interesting way, and sometimes in ways that made you go, "Wait, what?" And we can talk about that when we get to the utter failure of Tyrion's strategy uh-huh, uh-huh. and the ways in which the forces of good, and that's a problem that we have now, the forces of good versus uh, right, the forces right. of evil, are uh, defeated and set back. We understand they have to be defeated and set back, just as we understand that it's very important that for the purposes of the plot that John and Danny don't go, yes, you're right, let's join forces. Come on, my guys, your dragons, your Dothraki, let's go, if they did that. We have the same problem we've been talking about. This the, the entire TV series would be over next week. Right. So they have to put in obstacles. But they're doing it in a perfunctory and way that bespeaks their necessity as opposed to any kind of interesting, intelligent writing character stuff. The yeah. stuff that we actually like this yeah. TV show for. Though I did think there were a couple good lines between Danny and John, especially when John says that thing about how we're all children. Yes. Fighting a game, playing a game, complaining that the rules aren't fair. Right. Yeah, and 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 there, there was. I mean, I actually thought that this episode was better than last week's episode, mm-hmm. if only because last week's episode was killing time, and now stuff actually happened, like the meeting. And there was great writing. These guys know how to write. But at the same time, again, she makes that big speech, right? Mm-hmm. And at the end of the speech, to their credit, uh, John, I think, says what I was thinking was, "So, are you going to help me with the army of the dead or not?" I mean, the whole yeah. speech was, I mean, it was like, here I am, this is who I am, this is what I've done, this is my perspective on myself, this is how I have learned, this is how I have grown. And yeah, what? What was right, that for? Right. And then Davos made a nice speech. Those hard sons of bitches chose yes. him. Oh, yes. <laughs> that's, what, that's what Davos's role is, is he stands next to I kings that. and argues their virtues to, to skeptical people. That's why I love him and Tyrion the most, though. They're still my two favorite characters. And actually, I thought the stuff between Jon and Tyrion on the cliff mm-hmm. was some of my favorites. We actually have a little bit of that. How do I convince people who don't know me that an enemy they don't believe in is coming to kill them all? Good question. I know it's a good question. I'm looking for an answer. People's minds aren't made for problems that large. White Walkers, the Night King, Army of the Dead... It's almost a relief to confront a comfortable, familiar monster like my sister. <laughs> that was a good line. It's a fine line, and it's a good line. It, however, doesn't really have Tyrion. It doesn't show Tyrion doing anything except being wry and observant. Right. But that's, he also, what, that's Tyrion. No, it isn't. <laughs> no, but it. he's also realizing that John's here for a reason because right. it's not here to bend a knee. And so he's like, tell me what it is. And so he figures out that it's dragon glass and then gets Danny to do the dragon glass mine permit that John needs. I guess there were zoning permits at play here in this episode, I guess. <laughs> but I like that too because it's also, as we've all talked about many times on this show and that everyone talks about with Game of Thrones – Collective action being the sort of bigger picture idea that, like, humans, if they don't have collective action against something like climate change, a.k.a. winter is coming, they're all going to die. That was, to me, the most succinct version of that argument in the show that, uh, yeah, you can't convince people because it's too big to think about something that scary. And that's actually what scientists say about climate change. Because it's looming and because they can't see it. They will keep fighting with each other and fighting smaller battles because climate change is too big and too scary. How, I mean, I know this climate change metaphor is widespread. How conscious do you think the showmakers are of it? Do you think they're actually pushing this or do you think this is like – I think n- they are. You really think so? You yeah. think they're thinking about it? You think they're, uh, they're, they're talking about the hockey stick graph and all that stuff? I think they're trying to shake us a little bit and go, you know, if we all just keep fighting with each other and ignoring this larger otherworldly threat that we can't fix with politics – against each other. I think I think it's intentional. I do. I actually think that it's not like the primary purpose of the show, but it is intentional to keep bringing that up. There's a parallel that I really appreciated with John seeing the dragons for the first time that yeah. I think kind of plays into that, right? Because it's something that he'd heard about a lot, but it wasn't until he actually was surprised by a dragon flying overhead that he was sort of like, oh, holy shit, these are real. Oh my gosh. And I think it's interesting to think about that in terms of Daenerys and the White Walkers also, right? Because it is just one of those things that is very difficult for us to comprehend unless you're actually confronted with the very grim reality of it, which often is by, by the time it's too late. You know, that's when it's actually like, oh, I get it. And by the way, if Danny had somehow arranged for the dragon to fly by while they were on the walkway of indeterminate length, <laughs> that would have been actually cool. There's <laughs> mm-hmm. no indication that yeah. that was intentional. 
I like that Miss Ende doesn't flinch when they fly over her head. Yes. She's mm. just like, yeah, she what? Smiles yeah, there you are. Mm-hmm. She's mm-hmm. still yeah. thinking about the night before. <laughs> or given the weird timeline, the night three weeks yeah, before. Man. We don't know. Nobody I knows. do have, I mean, the moment when Danny figures out that the ships had been attacked by Euron and yeah. John is there. was, And then the, our next scene is in King's Landing with Euron celebrating, you know, his little grim parade. Like, it was just such a... Like, how is how does time work here? My guess is, is that they work? discovered teleportation in Westeros in a uh, web extra. You know, <laughs> it's non-canonical. Uh, the, is the, the doctor in town? <laughs> before we leave Tyrion for a second, are you guys as disappointed as I am in that Tyrion is being so consistently dumb? I mean... The Casterly the Rock Casterly stuff, Rock the thing Casterly is Rock just stuff, a real bummer. It's a real bummer. He screwed that up. He screwed up. I mean, his plans are coming to naught. And that's fine. Insofar as we've talked about, they need to put obstacles in the way of the good guys to keep the show from ending mm-hmm. next week. But <laughs> does it have to be Tyrion being so wrong and being so obviously wrong? For example, does no one try to find out where these fleets are? Oh, look, here's Varys, the greatest spy master of our age. Nobody asks him maybe to find out. Hey, here is a dragon. Why don't we fly the <laughs> dragon around? Dragon Reconnaissance missions? dragon mission. Yeah, fly around. Oh, look, there's a fleet. Nobody bothers to do that. And because yeah. they're being so dumb, it's – it's. I mean I'm trying to think of uh, – I've been thinking about this all morning is why is this unsatisfying in a way that other things – for example, the Red Wedding was satisfying, not in terms of good thing people get killed. But in terms of like the, the sort of horror and, 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 and just sort of delightful dismay at watching good people come to a bad end. Right, you're watching that. And you're like, oh my god, they've been betrayed, and they walked into this trap. And I would have done that, maybe. You didn't see that coming. Tyrion's just being dumb, and it isn't as satisfying in a weird way. And I wish yeah. I could understand why. I do wonder if partly it can be justified just by the fact that he hates his family so much. Like, yes. I, you know, I think there is a little bit of personal vengeance in it for him. With yeah, that they're specific... fighting their fathers instead of the battles at hand. If there is a conf- right, and if there is a confrontation, I, which I hope there is between Danny and Tyrion coming up saying, "You've led me into terrible advice." I hope one of the things she points out to him is, "You were probably thinking about the pleasure and joy of destroying your father's castle rather than." advancing our interests. I also think he's always been more of a politician than a general. Well, he did win the b- water of the Battle of Blackwater Bay. Yeah, with wildfire, which again is like dragons it's cheating. Hey, he won. <laughs> and even, you know, and as he points out, and it's interesting, is that maybe only because I've been rereading the second book, which is all about that. <laughs> well, I got to spend my time doing something uh-huh. when I'm not talking to you about the show. Uh-huh. Um, is this Tyrion that we now have in season seven, the same Tyrion who successfully won the Battle of Blackwater Bay? Against pretty serious odds. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Should we head to town? To town. To town. Slanding. Oh my God. <laughs> the look on your face, Peter. Oh my God. It, what is this? It's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like Game of Thrones, the 90s sitcom. Oh, <laughs> what was it's that? It's lovely. Oh my God. Hey. We're trying to incorporate the notes from the bosses. <laughs> that is really funny fresh. to no. think of that music and then Euron's fucked up parade. <laughs> yeah, hearing that music underscore his jaunting <laughs> gray joy. It, it does make a little sense because Euron does dress like a prog rocker, you know? <laughs> I mean, you know that when he's not like leading raids on enemies, he's playing the synth. <laughs> and getting hard, dragging his sister. His he has said that, yes. Dragging his niece through. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Miles, Dernboss, who I think of as the usurper, Mm. said something really interesting last week on this podcast in my absence. He said that Euron is the first campy villain. Mm. And he's totally right. Yeah. He's the first sort of flamboyantly evil. He's having fun. Having fun. Being evil for evil's sake, saying things like that, or what he then said to Jamie Lannister, which was just awesome. Oh, my gosh. Also, bum feels a little anachronistic, bum. doesn't it? Bum. Well. Right? <laughs> that's, the, that's the issue I have with okay. that scene. <laughs> bum, though. Just the look on Jamie's face. The, what, 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 oh, this, my gosh. Da, da, but do we want a campy villain on Game of Thrones? <laughs> Is this a good thing in terms of why we like this show? I mean, Ramsay Bolton was not campy. It feels Neither a was bit... Joffrey. Like he's from Pirates of the Caribbean and he's been dropped into the yeah, show. Yeah, exactly. Like and that's a very different style. I mean, you know, the villain in the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie, played by Jeffrey Rush, was evil, killed people. 
He was fun. He was a fun <laughs> villain. He was based on a ride at a theme park. I know. Uh. And fun villains have their place. But it's not in this show. I don't know. I don't mind it so much, at least so far. I think it speaks to the fact that he's not from, you know, he's an Iron Islands guy. You know? <laughs> he's a pirate. He's, he's like, so, he's like yeah. from Ibiza. That's like, the yeah, island he's, he's not, from. He's not the same as them, and he's a ridiculous person, and it's obvious. He's I did not think... from the Iron Islands. He's from a Royal Caribbean sketch show. Exactly. <laughs> he's, you know, he's, he's like the after-dinner entertainment uh, at Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville So on much Aruba. eyeliner. It's really terrifying. How, how effectively do you think Cersei's going to be able to put him off? Oh, yeah, I'll marry you. I'll, you'll get your prize after the war. Like, that seems like such an obvious delay. Either she doesn't ever have to because he doesn't survive the war or she just doesn't do it then. Like, we right? know that yeah, she doesn't seems fuck super anybody lame. else. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I don't know what's going on with Cersei. Is it, let's, can we, are, we, are we on the... We're in, we're in town now, right? Oh, we're yeah, do town. you need to hear the jingle again to be sorry? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> hey, on tonight's episode of King's Landing, Cersei gets into some mischief. <laughs> Well-timed, sir. Where's Cersei now? Cersei has also become just a stone villain. She, yeah, right? man. This episode especially, that yeah, was and, brutal. Yeah, and that's all she does now is she just behaves villainously and has sex with her brother. I don't know. I thought the scene between her and, and I looked up his name. Hang on. Somewhere in my notes oh, is the, the Bravo name dude? of the Bravos banker. Oh, the oh Iron, wow. The, the, all I know is he's played by Mark Gaddis of Doctor Who fans. Yes, I call him Mycroft, and so do most of the recappers oh, yeah. of the a internet. Of we just call him Mycroft. On Twitter called him Mycroft also. Um, Your notes see. are in two columns this week. Yeah, Trisha. it's like an E. Cummings poem over here on yeah, my notes. It's something really happened with something. the printer. I'm impressed. Anyway, Mycroft of the Iron Bank. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I think that that's actually a really good Cersei as a political actor scene. We have yeah, a clip of that. Totally. Explain. From what I gather, she considers herself more of a revolutionary than a mm-hmm. monarch. In your experience, how do bankers usually fare with revolutionaries? The Lannisters owe the Iron Man quite a lot of money, but Lannisters always pay their debts to former slaves, or Dothraki, or dragons. Your father's daughter, indeed. Give me a fortnight. Stay in King's Landing as my honored guest, and when you return to Bravos, I swear to you, my debt will be paid in full. That makes me nervous. Well, have I was thinking about that as well. Have we, in <laughs> fact, by the end of the episode, seen what she meant? The gold the, of Highgarden. Exactly. Mm, the riches and, okay. of Highgarden, which is another problem. But still, is I mean, was she indicating that she had that plan in mind when she was talking to Mark Gaddis of the Iron Bank? I believe so, yeah. Because <laughs> even in that scene, they made sure to have Jamie walk past someone who was writing down something about how much gold was in like a trunk of gold. And then in the next time on, we see a whole, you know, uh, bucket of gold. Uh, yeah, what is it? A wheelhouse full of gold. Heading, I think, back to King's oh, Landing. Oh, right. Well, then there you are. So, yeah, I think that that was not just about, uh, you know, giving up on Casterly Rock for military advantage to sort of strand the Unsullied on the other side of the continent. Right. But I think they were like, you know what we need? We need money. Where's right. the money? High Garden. Right. It's also agriculture. So the showrunners said, and yeah. inside the artist's, the actor's studio, which I actually watched inside yesterday. Inside the, the actor's, actor's studio? studio? Yeah. With yeah. that guy with that weird beard talking to... James yeah. Lipton was there? James yeah. Lipton talking yeah. to Jamie Lannister going, tell me about, if your sister were yeah. a tree... <laughs> yeah, it was what great, about? guys. Is did your you... favorite word. <laughs> you guys didn't <laughs> see that? Scrumtralescent. It was scrumtralescent. <laughs> that makes me think of Dumbledore. Um, Cersei is now clearly the principal villain of this show, mm-hmm. with Euron as villain number two. <laughs> <laughs> is she satisfying to you as a TV viewer? Or I mean, Cersei has always been a really interesting and complex character, partially because she has always been about defending her children. Yeah. Her children are now dead. So we're going to expect something different from her. But has this made her again into a more standard kind of I almost literally I almost said black hat. I should have said black dress, in that she's somebody we can just jeer and boo but doesn't represent the kind of complex villainy that's both scary and fascinating that we've seen in this show. I think think she definitely is showing the sort of hubris that means that she's not long for this world in this show. So I 
am tolerant of it because I feel like it's coming to an end very soon. Because otherwise, it has become a little one note. Yeah. The you know the costuming, by the way, has gotten more and more. Oh arch. yeah! Wow. Oh Literally, yeah. The shoulders yeah, the have pokey. spikes that just keep <laughs> yeah, getting bigger. Amazing. She, she, is, she is turning into the Wicked Witch. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. She's like a Wicked Witch Disney villain. Sort yeah. Exactly. Of thing she, I, 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 I was. I said Wicked Witch, but I meant Evil Stepmother. Yep. From like, yeah. You know, like yeah. the classic Snow White. That's what she's starting to look like. Also, fun fact: because if you go on the IMDb page oh, for the good. episode, you can find out that the actress who played the handmaiden who oh, came yeah. to the door yeah. to see her and Danny is actually been with Cersei and Sansa since the very beginning. She's no one of kidding. her most trusted ones oh, wow. who was like a spy for Sansa. Yeah. Same outfit. Which makes me wonder if that actress isn't maybe going to pop up again eventually as a face that Arya steals. Just calling it, Whoa. just going to put that tiny prediction in Damn. a hand. Possible. Yeah. I also wonder... Bernadette. Uh, her name I, is. I know, oh, Bernadette. Bernadette. Also, <laughs> did anybody else wonder when uh, Cersei got up and got out of bed to go answer the door Ugh. whether that was another body double? I think it was. Yeah. I don't know why I've decided it was, but oh. there was something about it that made me think like, yeah, also Lena has said that she doesn't do that. I yeah, thought I maybe it was just dimly lit enough that she'd be okay I with was it. thinking to myself, well, if Lena Headey had said, no, I'm not going to do the nude scene from the big walking down the street mm, scene yeah. from a couple yeah. seasons ago, it's unlikely that she'd say, yeah, I'll get out of bed buck naked. No problem. Right. Yeah. I would say I do not find her storyline interesting necessarily, or her as a character interesting, but I do find her to be much more formidable as an enemy after this episode than I did. Like, I was not taking her seriously at all and then right. to see her behavior this episode is like okay she's still gonna fuck up a lot of shit before she leaves they have solved and I'm, since I've been ragging on them I'll give them this they've solved a problem from the books which in which Cersei became pretty stupid uh, oh, yeah. reckless and dumb in fact so reckless and dumb that one of the plots in the books is that Varys wants her to be in charge when he's still in King's Landing being spider-like because he knows that her recklessness and stupidity such as when she elevated the High Septon the High Sparrow rather uh, would actually help him in his goal of destabilizing the regime. And so she's not stupid anymore, which is nice. Yeah, I think that makes her go. a little more serious mm-hmm. in terms of, like, what's what's to come. So also golf clap. Golf clap. Also, I think that this war basically so far has been Tywin Lannister playing chess against himself, right? So everything that each of his children have learned yeah. is now being pitted against these two siblings who are, well, three. I think Jamie as the general is yeah. probably the one who said to Cersei, like, here's what we should do and I'm going to do this or whatever. But I, I think it's interesting to see that there's this one sort of very um, present character still who's been killed off now for quite a while who everyone is referencing constantly. And yes. that is the father of the Lannister children. Right. At and, least most of them. And as we all know, if this show is about anything, mm. it's about parents and children and the effect of the former on the latter. Yeah, I feel like there were a lot of nods to that in this episode. Oh, yeah. They know that. We know that. Everybody knows that. All right. More in just a minute. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. All right, we're back, and we've been already talking about the fact that we had King's Landing relating to another place, the home of the Lannisters. Yeah, let's get back to this Tywin We've never seen it before. No, uh, it's very exciting the for me. Rock. Did he actually call it the Rock at one point, or am I making that? Up? I feel like. Oh, oh right. Casterly Rock. Oh boy. <laughs> that was like a Seinfeld transition, <laughs> right? And now we're back at Casterly Rock, where Kramer has a scheme. Oh, that's pretty. I cute. am just going to. How did you feel, Peter, about the sort of Peter Dinklage as audiobook narrator oh, over that this? Seems so tacky. Well, it well, was Greta, a, now we know. You. <laughs> That's all I have to say about it. So I, since I was complaining about the killing of time in last week's episode, I guess I can't uh, fault them for doing something that saved time. That's just, true. Just by having Peter Dinklage explain what was going on while we saw it saved a lot of time of, you know, seeing uh, Grey Worm saying, well, Tyrion Lannister told us about this. So let's go here. Yeah, that's you know, true. So that, it, I, I was efficient. All I could think of is they're running out of uh, Unsullied. Yeah. Every time yeah. we see the Unsullied have a fight, they they kill more of them. There's a limited number of Unsullied. It doesn't you, feel right. right they do either. not reproduce. They don't. It's problematic. I yeah, think, I know. On a couple different levels. Yeah. I thought it was efficient. At first, I thought it was weird that they were doing it in voiceover, but then I realized there's really, except for Grey Worm, no named character in that battle for us to have the point of view and watch it through, which True. is how the show usually handles battles, which is why I like battle scenes in Game of Thrones more than other types of things in this genre, is that they give you a character to hold on to through 
the battle scenes, but they really would have had to do just Grey Worm, and even that wouldn't have been mm-hmm. probably enough. I yeah. just want to point out that way back in season one, they didn't really have the budget for battle scenes. So oh, you may remember yeah. they handled the big battle at the end of that season between the Lannisters and the Starks by having Tyrion get knocked out at the yeah. very beginning. <laughs> and then he wakes up and he says, what happened? He says, you missed the whole thing. We won. Oh, oh yeah, we missed the whole. And we saved millions of dollars on extras, says Braun, I think. Moving on. <laughs> so it was nice. You have a battle scene and they go in and they kill a bunch of guys and then they stand there and go, wait a minute. And then you cut to mm-hmm. Highgarden. I really loved how they handled Jamie walking with such intention. Yes. To find Elena. Right. And, and you know, we just got a battle scene at Casterly Rock. So hang we didn't on, I'm need gonna more get, of that. I'm going to get in trouble if we head to Highgarden before. Oh, okay. All right. What it, do you it, got? And now, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, right. I'm sorry. Reunited. It's King Crimson. The other side of the continent. High Garden. <laughs> oh boy. I wasn't that far off. I yeah. Find them very endearing, I have to say. <laughs> You're a nice person. We're going to have to give notes on these notes. I think we may be overcorrected. Oh, dear. I don't know. Is it really in our control, though, Trisha? You know, when the network gives notes, do we have anything to do with these at all? <laughs> uh, in the. After the episode special with Benioff and Weiss explaining mm-hmm. to us what we've just seen, they did mention that they chose, instead of showing another battle, to just show the aftermath of Jamie Lannister walking from the wall, outer walls into the center of the keep, showing their victories complete, passing all the post-battle scenes, the pulling aside of bodies, and as the you counting said, of gold. the counting of gold mm-hmm. and, you know, of, of treasure and loot until he arrives at Olena's little chamber. I liked it. Yeah, it was I think at that point we didn't need to see as you say, Trisha, since there was nobody there who we knew, we didn't see, need to see more anonymous extras beating each up over the, or beating each other up over the head. But we did have a pretty brilliant goodbye to Ooh, one of my favorite characters. Oh my gosh. I feel like what should we do? Should we pour out a little or just like pour out some wine? Raise a glass. Pour out some wine. I, well, I got coffee. You guys got water. Trisha has a uh, what is that? <laughs> what are you drinking? It's actually just water. It was water that had a tiny Hint. bit of flavor in it because that is as zesty as my life gets. <laughs> that was the saddest thing we've ever said. Oh. And we've talked about 400 deaths Ooh. in the last two years. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, here's to Olena. To Olena. Here, here. We loved you. It was great to see you back. Skull. And yet she, and she managed the entire... TV series. This is four seasons of brilliant character acting without ever taking off her hat. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. If everybody goes out like that, man. You know what I loved out of all the – it was a great scene and kudos to the writers and actors. It was probably the best thing in the episode. You know what Mm -hmm. I love most is how she just guzzled that wine. Yeah, Yeah, she did just uh, throw it back. Other actors might have that little hesitant of Socrates Mm -hmm. raising the cup, but Mm -hmm. she was like, oh, no, this is great. This is obviously the best outcome. Let's do this. I totally accept what has happened. Except, wait a minute, Highgarden is undefended? Highgarden, the seat of the wealth of Westeros? Highgarden, the army that Tyrion is going to count on, along with the now-gone Dorn, to lay siege to... King's Landing, and they got nobody? They're just a bunch of guys? They're a bunch of farmers? Switzerland. Well, that's why it was important in the previous episode, I think, for them to establish that the forces that would have been there, the Tarleys, were in fact riding with the Lannisters. Yes. I do Mm. think that was a very important shot of uh, of mean old dad Tarly. Randall and Dickon. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, God. I forgot about that. Dickon sitting right there Uh. along with Jamie, showing that Jamie succeeded. Was that ambiguous at the end of last episode, whether old mean man Tarly was going to go over to the Jamie side? Well, it was clear that he did, and obviously that changed everything for the poor uh, Tyrells. Yeah. The moment... I mean, really just the one Tyrell who we yeah, cared about. She's no, the only right. one left. She's yeah. the only one You left. know what's interesting is that there are... Now there are there is only one, but no, I take it back. There were, at last count, prior to this episode, three characters I can think of who had and will have no children, and therefore don't have a legacy to fight for. Those mm. would be Elena Tyrell, now gone, uh, Cersei, of course, and Danny. She says, oh, I am yeah. the last of the Targaryens. And when she said that, I don't know if she meant I'm the, I'm the one who's here or if she meant I can't have children, which was established right. in the books more clearly than in the TV show that whatever that witch did to her at the end of season one right. to kill her child also prevented her from ever having children. So she is the last of a line. So whatever she's fighting for is, you know, as to paraphrase Cersei, or paraphrase Cersei, 
Cersei. Prefera Cersei. It's a dynasty for ourselves. They don't yeah. have any legacy to fight for, which in a show about parents and children is an interesting twist. I think my favorite moment was when Olena called Joffrey a cunt. Oh, that was great. <laughs> Best moment of the best scene right, right? there. Yes. Yes, Olena. People nod oh, all over the BT world. Dubs yes. killed him. He <laughs> oh, gone. Oh, by the way. That was me. Yes. Tell Cers. <laughs> Point me. <laughs> do you do you wish that we had seen her popple over or was it better just leave the room? No, she was regal. Did you, you think know. that, uh, for a moment anyway, that uh, Jamie, in a moment of anger perhaps at learning that she in fact had killed his son, uh, whipped out a sword and, and deprived her of her peaceful end. I think it was <sighs> showing us that Jamie is, in fact, one of the few good guys on the show. Yeah. Because to hit an old woman with his golden hand or to, you know, stab her with a sword or something after he'd promised her no pain. Yeah. It means he understands that Joffrey was a monster and mm-hmm. it maybe means that he understands that Cersei is a monster. Like he is in this weird way, like just so enamored with her yeah. and so tied up with yeah. his sister that he can't really see it. But there was a lot of subtle face acting attempting happening there. Because <laughs> they were like, is he the King Slayer, now the Queen Slayer, or is Cersei <laughs> going to kill him? Like that's the, one of the big questions that remains for I'm, me I'm is sorry. who's going to kill who of the I just twins. flashed again on Jamie and inside the actor's studio, like James Lipton going, so tell me about face acting. Well... In this episode, he had to respond to Euron with no words and basically responded to Elena with no words during that whole bit. Jamie has been reduced in many ways to just looking around sort of in shock and dismay and extreme discomfort at just about everything. That does sum it up pretty well. Which is a weird place for the Kingslayer to end up. I did find it helpful to hear him talk about uh, how he envisions Cersei ruling turning out when he's talking to Olena and he says that thing about like, well, once it's all good, nobody will hold her responsible for the things she did in the past. It's such a fascinating rationale, but it was interesting to hear him say that just in terms of the idea that like he he seems to be talking himself into the fact that this is actually a good idea. Yeah, well, and just, we were, I know. mean, that seems to be how it works in this world. I know. it's. Yeah, I just thought it was useful to actually see him express that because otherwise it was sort of like, really, dude? And I'm still skeptical of the actual notion, but I, I found it. Well, remember, Daenerys crucified a few hundred people, and we right. like her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fair point. I yeah. Well, you know, Cersei is just becoming more and more like the Mad King, though, right? Because what mm-hmm. she does to uh, Ilaria Sand and to I think it's Tyene Sand, the daughter, Baby Snake, as Baby she Snake is in my Baby notes, Snake. <laughs> Baby Snake in your notes, is she basically kills them in a way not only similar to how Marcella was killed, her own daughter, but very similar to what we know to be the way that the Mad King killed the Stark grandfather and right. uncle. Mm. I.e. chained them up so that one could not reach the other. Yeah. Although that had some evil uh, twist in what the more the, the son, I believe, tried to save the father, the more son strangled himself through this right. arrangement Right. If he of could have reached the sword, he would have been able to that save him. That is so awful. The, yeah. the parallels between Cersei and the Mad King are being, are, are fairly obvious. We remember that she killed her enemies by using the Mad King's pyrotechnics. Yep. So she is very much his heir. Hmm. Hmm. Should hmm. we head to Winterfell? Is it time? Let's do it. Things are happening in Winterfell. <laughs> all right. Now I'm done. <laughs> now we're done. Now I'm done. Now <laughs> that was it. Yes. Me. Meanwhile, meanwhile, in Winterfell, it's a blaxploitation movie. It's, oh, God. It's, it's, it's like. <laughs> oh, no. No, that's their next show. Oh, God. Uh-oh. Oh, hey. <laughs> hey, yo. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, little yeah, finger. We're gonna have to talk little about finger, those. little talk, little finger. I, I liked. <laughs> I've been very annoyed as you have been with little finger for a long time with his smirking and standing and lusting and raspiness. I liked. I liked Sansa being like, "You don't have to tell me." Why Cersei is dangerous. Please don't mansplain to me, sir. Yes. The danger that is Cersei Lannister. I am well aware. I loved, I did really like Littlefinger's little speech about how you imagine everything happening and then you're never surprised, which I thought was like, yeah. I liked it, but I I also found it pretty ridiculous. Like, don't fight in the North or the South. Fight everywhere all the time in your mind. Yeah. It's (laughs) It's just like, really, dude? Yeah. (laughs) It's it's the kind of advice that sounds really good, I guess, when you have Aiden Gillen say it. But actually, it's like, and so what do I do? Yeah. There's no actual helpful advice. Yeah, I guess so. You know, like, yes, of course, you want to foresee all possible outcomes so that you're not surprised. But also, like, fight every battle everywhere all the time in your mind. It's just like, (laughs) really? It's like the opposite of of my Headspace app. 
Exactly. It what is, is the your opposite. headspace. Yeah. It's like a meditation, meditation. app. It's like oh, the opposite of useful mindfulness. So the purposes of the scenes up in uh, Winterfell Constant were to show. Constant vigilance. That's what it is. Constant, Constant vigilance. Constant vigilance, indeed. Sorry, what the, were you saying? I was saying, <laughs> is there a jingle for ignoring me? Is there? No. No, it's just a thing. Is the purpose <laughs> I of apologize. all right? The purpose of falls in the forest. Does anybody give a shit? I'm telling you guys, these will fade in power from overuse. I'm just saying. The audience, yeah, will we'll, yeah, we'll, okay. we'll let the audience make that decision. The purposes of the scene up in Winterfell were to show, as John says in another scene, yes, she's 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 uh, she's letting on how smart she is. It, there were specific scenes to show that Sansa is really smart. Oh, let's bring all the grain in. Because yeah. they're going to be coming here for food. Yeah. Oh, you should put leather. Is that what her idea? Yeah, leather, leather on the armor. Yeah. yeah. She's and taking it, charge. She's taking charge. And it was almost as if they were coming. Well, let's show ways in which Sansa is being smart. Putting leather on armor? Perfunctory. Yes. Perfunctory. Again. Hashtag perfunctory. So Hashtag perfunctory. we have an awkward reunion with Bran. I'm really glad they finally hugged. I think that was the only hug this episode. <laughs> I think I'm going to start counting hugs. Just because I really wanted Jorah and Sam to hug and they didn't. But they, well... Anyway. Oh, you're going to jug hug anyway. Jorah? I mean, no. really? he's fine. He's no good. touching. Anyway, okay. <laughs> no touching. Thank you, Trisha. Um, the one thing I would like to say about Bran, if you would entertain me, is that his face is so perfect for this role. He has just aged into like such a fascinating, yeah. weird-looking dude. Yeah. And it's just like exquisite for the Three-Eyed Raven, I think. He does look pretty grim and ex- expressionless. Yeah, he's just like perfectly embodied that role yeah they lucked out with that actor's bone structure i guess well because he's changed so much he was he was a little kid so it's kind of it's awesome to see that i think but that scene where it's like i'm the three-eyed raven what's that well and then she's like i thought you said you were the three-eyed raven (laughs) it's complicated it's like the dread pirate roberts why doesn't he just explain that it's like the dread pirate roberts there's Uh, only one at a time he said you ever read the princess bride there were very there were a lot of jokes already about Bran's attitude about like what's well, complicated you wouldn't understand but the best one came from a comedy writer named Bess Cobb on Twitter which was like he's acting like a twenty year old back from Burning Man <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't understand I had this experience I saw so many things it, it can't was, even make sense of them I was yet. like amazing I'm sort of in an advanced place right now and I really don't think that you guys would understand you really have to go there I mean you really have to be there on the playa you know and just have the experience it's really impossible to understand to people like you. Anyway, <laughs> what is he going to do? He didn't know. actually say anything to her except freaking her out. Like, oh, how shall I express to my dear long lost sister how I see things and know things? How will I demonstrate this power? I'll that remind I her have? of her rape. Exactly. Uh... And that, I mean, it was almost calculated to not to offend her and drive her out of the scene. I think not just to... offend her, but like. Freak her out. Yeah. Like, that's scary. Yeah, as opposed and to... And disturbing. Exactly. Or maybe it would have been better to say, hey, let me tell you this interesting thing about the guy we think is our half-brother. Right. You're not going to believe this. He couldn't mention that? No, he had to mention the very worst night of her terrible life. Well, but as a person who we've now seen do this twice, it seems like his his go-to trick to get people to quickly believe him is describe something that that person feels like there's no possible way someone else could know right that happened to them like in a level of detail right it's like it reminds me of the mentalist that terrible cbs show that i watched because the guy was real pretty <laughs> where he was so lovely he yeah. really, I, i'm gonna say yes he was he was a handsome fellow that patrick guy. jane is he what's he anyway can he is be he anywhere near patrick jane up to but moving you know, on this is the idea right as he goes like he says to what's his face ed dolores ed as i called him dolores, <laughs> dolores. <laughs> he says you know something about something only he yes. had witnessed and then he does that to sansa too he's like it was snowing on the night of your wedding how would somebody else have known that told him that you know it's it's i also think it just shows that he kind of doesn't have emotion left anymore because right. he has yes, too much yeah. other stuff in his that's head. true and that's yes. the flip side of what i just said the fact that he did something that was both cruel and counterproductive kind of indicates that he's become i i, I almost hate to use this but a little spectrumy he doesn't really have any more understanding of how other people's emotions work now he's a savant of some sort well, don't you yeah. think also like if you're if your scope of knowledge is as huge as his is yeah sansa's feelings don't matter anymore right you know. He's almost become like the watcher in right. Marvel Comics. Oh, good. I watch. I observe. But what is what is his goal? He has come back from the north. He had to, of course, because their sanctuary where the Three-Eyed Raven used to be has been overrun by dead people. 
But what does he want now? What is he? What is his interest in trying to help John in some way gather the forces to oppose the Night King? I think he needs to be near the tree because he's still not very good at seeing things without the tree. True. Right. So he needs to hang out by the tree and figure out what he maybe is supposed to do. And I am all for brands going back in time to become Brand the Builder and get stuck back in time. That's what I think is going to happen next. You're, you're you're going with that internet theory. Oh yeah, oh, I'm yeah. into it. Okay. It seems to me both Bran and Melisandre actually have roles they know they have to play, but we don't know what those are necessarily right. yet. So is it, have we covered everybody except for our old friend uh, Samuel Tarley? I Indeed. think so, yeah. yeah Sam we, Tarley, MD. I hate to say Oh, God. Back <laughs> again at the Citadel. <laughs> they enjoy smooth jazz at the Citadel? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> And now here's Maester Kenny G. Oh, no. (laughs) All right. He has a chain for circular breathing. (laughs) (laughs) God. Dear. So now we have discovered that the whole point of the journey of of Jorah and Samwell was to get Jorah back on the game board, to use a phrase I used last year when we were talking about uh, somebody we haven't seen uh, for a little while, which is... uh, couple episodes now, which is uh, Sandor Clegane, the Hound. Oh, yeah. I said the same thing about him last season. Well, he's, we, they needed to get him back in the game board. Well, now he's cured. Yeah, Yay. which was useful, Whatever. I guess, but who cares? Well, he, they clearly have some purpose in mind for him. What do you guys think it's going to be? Is he going to run up, uh, ride up, I should say, and save Daenerys or her, or her fortune or uh, purpose at the last minute? I don't know. I was kind of hoping he would bring Sam to Dragonstone and then they could all hang out in Dragonstone because John would he still be there too. He hasn't read the rotting scrolls yet. I know. And there's going to have very important information in them. I know it's not going to happen. That was just my like, oh, that would be kind of fun if just they all him hanging hung out? out together. It'd be like yeah. after hours at Dragonstone. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You know, just, they're just hanging around the table drinking wine and chatting. Mm-hmm. Listening that wouldn't to be so bad, actually. That would be all right, <laughs> I think. Wouldn't it be nice? I know. But Samuel Tarley, as you saw, he did a terrible thing. And I saw in your notes, uh, Tricia, that you mentioned there's a similarity here to Harry Potter, not just because of Jim Broadbent playing the maester. Yes. But you're right in that – so Sam Tarley, much like Harry Potter, broke the rules. Mm-hmm. He, he was specifically told, do not do this. You cannot do this. This is forbidden. Do not do this. You break against the rules. No, no, no. And he goes ahead and does it because he's the hero. And like all heroes, he gets away with it. Yes. Because in part he doesn't have a Hermione. If he did – now. If you two don't mind, I'm going to bed before either of you come up with another clever idea to get us killed. Or worse, expelled. (laughs) (laughs) I miss her. Thank you, Trisha, for doing that. I miss her. Really. There's nothing in my life that wouldn't be solved by just seeing her punch Draco Malfoy every now and then. (laughs) Oh, you're not listening to Harry Potter on a constant I'm not, unlike some people I know (laughs) I'm sitting in a studio with. Weird. I know. Anyway, moving on. So, yes, it's, it's, it's almost annoying in that there are so many things about this particular episode, the last two really on this TV show that bother me because they're like TV shows. You know what I mean? Campy villains who show up anywhere. Um, Samuel Tarly breaking the rules, succeeding and getting forgiven because he's the hero and that's what happens to heroes. They're not punished for doing the right thing. And I I know it's a TV show, but the whole reason I love this TV show is because it's not like a TV show. Yeah. Well, it wasn't because it was based on books. I know. No, it's not. And don't get me started on that. Yeah, I think think you've just got some angst. I I have a feeling it will continue to develop. So what happens to Samwell now? So he and Jim Broadbent are tight. He's going to... In He's that, got detention. He's got detention, but he it's better to write, than his I shall not tell jobs. lies. It is true. He doesn't have to clean up. Well, I'm not even going to say it. He just, yeah, but do you think that <laughs> you've had this? You've had this notion, uh, Trisha, for a while that it's Samwell who's going to save the day. I guess in addition to Bran saving the day. So, uh, do you still think we're on track for that? That Sam, now that Samwell has has d- d- contri- contributed two important plot points, he found out about the dragon glass under Dragonstone, which is proceeding. They're getting the dragon glass, and he cured Jorah Mormont so that Jorah Mormont can go off into the game board again and do whatever he's going to do. Does Samwell Tarly, in your view, have any more role to play in this great saga? I think there's more to learn, and that that is clearly where learning can happen, because the last time there was a winter like this, it would be written about, and it would be there. I also think that Archmaester Broadbent, (laughs) uh, Merwin Ebros, I think is his name, I think that he now sort of trusts and feels like he knows Samuel Tarly as a man. Yes. And so I think that that table full of scrolls and books are not actually there because they're rotting. They're there because they 
because the archmaester who says on paper that maesters aren't to get involved, that they're not to be right. political, he has set out a set of readings basically for Sam to learn what he needs to learn to help defend against the White Walkers because he now trusts Sam to do that and is sort of giving him permission to sneakily do the thing that technically maesters aren't supposed to sort of stoop to do, right. which is get involved in these other matters. So I think that table of materials was very intentional and is going to be very useful. Do you think that Sam is heading – he must be heading towards some kind of reunion, confrontation, perhaps even reconciliation with his own evil father? Well, uh. Randall is now the, you know, sort the general of, of the general armies of, of – yeah. yeah. and, and the warden of the – Something? The Warden of the East? The Warden of the... South. South? The warden yeah. of the South. Okay, Warden of the South. So, yeah, so there he's clearly back in the game board. And uh, that. The, what do you think, just, just for the sake of predictions, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think that, uh, like a lot of uh, pa- children in this show, he's going to kill his parent? I think he may never actually come up against Randall Tarley again. I think he's going to learn how to make Valyrian steel in one of those books. Yeah. And then he's going to go to Dragonstone. And it's just, I mean, it's going to be more technical than that. Like, they literally need to make the weapons to fight this war, and they don't know how. Only Gendry and Sam are going to know how. I'm just going to say the worst possible outcome for Samuel and his father is the father looking at him and saying, I was wrong about you, and clapping him on the back. <laughs> oh, yes, if that, <laughs> that happens, I quit. Annoying. I know. But, yeah, I don't think Sam would kill his father. I think Sam will just outsmart his father. Right. Sam Tarly nerd victory style. Exactly. All right, let's hear from some of you, dear listeners, in just a minute. All right, time now for your voicemails. Let's take a listen. Hi, this is Vanessa from Irvine, California. I just wanted to make a shout to the scene where Sir Davos is talking about John and is about to reveal that he uh, was killed, and John just turns to him, gives him a look that pretty much says, hey, we don't talk about that. Love the show, and to hear what you guys say. Bye. Was there a reference to that later in the episode? Did someone yes. say, who said what? Danny, Danny go ahead. <laughs> Danny asks Tyrion, like, what was with that thing? How she, or how Davos described, said that John was stabbed in the heart. And Tyrion says something like, oh, they're Northerners. They make up all sorts, they have all sorts of flights of fancy. Yes, another phrase. Does that mean that that fact about John is going to play an important role in the way the other characters deal with him when they find out that he is in fact resurrected? Like she is. Yes. Wait a minute. Is is Danny resurrected? Well, she's unburnt. She is unburnt. Yes, which is different than being resurrected, I think. But I see your point, that there's something interesting about him in the same way that there's something really interesting about her. Yeah, I think that that'll be a fun thing to watch play out. It also is funny to me that they're like, listen, zombies, totally real. Right. Don't tell them I'm a zombie. Yeah. Like... (laughs) He's not a zombie. But uh, he's not not a zombie. <laughs> it's a paradox. He's both a zombie and not a zombie. He's not a zombie because zombies are mindless. Zombies are under the control of whatever uh, virus and or supernatural force is controlling them. You right. know this. I know this. Yes, but that also means that the White Walkers are going to have agency and I might end up rooting for them. Oh, right. The White Walkers oh, yes. and their goals. Oh, yes. Because Trisha has a soft spot for the White Walkers. Can we see things from their perspective? Listen, guys, if we're going to get through this, we have to understand their point of view. (laughs) Yeah, come on, guys. (laughs) All right, let's listen to another voicemail. Briefly at sea. Oh, Oh, yeah, we heard that one. Wait, we forgot. Yeah, we forgot that Theon is alive and no Uh, one cares. No one cares. Oh, let's step over him. Theon has... Theon clearly, clearly, and I thought this last week is heading for some sort of redemption. He has to. I mean, he has to, because otherwise he's the lamest. He is. I even thought to myself, you know, when Theon started, like, twitching last episode, like he was reek again and then jumped off and everybody Mm -hmm. said, oh, big coward. I thought he was being smart. What's he going to do? He even said to the captain who ever rescued him, what's he going to do? Is he going to get killed trying to fight Euron? Okay, let's actually hear the voicemail now. Hey guys, this is Bryn calling from Montreal. I just had a question about what you think Melisandre meant when she said she has to die in this country, meaning Westeros. Thanks so much. Love the show. Bye-bye. Well, yeah, cl- yeah, go, go ahead, ahead, Trisha. I was going to say, we also have another clip, actually, that I queued up because I was hoping we would talk about this weird oh, moment good, between Varys and Melisandre. With a hooked blade, he sliced me, root and stem, chanting all the while. He burned my parts in a brazier. The flames turned blue, and I heard a voice answer his call. I still dream of that night. Not of the sorcerer, not of his blade. I dream of the voice from the flames 
Was it a god, a demon, a conjurer's trick? I don't know. So that's Varys explaining why he hates magic, including this red priestess. Right. And also the fact, though, that he has heard a voice from the flames, which means that the Lord of Light has maybe been a part of his nightmares yeah. his entire life. Yeah, we, we've talked about this. Like the Lord of Light has a place, has a role in this that the other various gods don't seem to. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's part of it. But w- w- I guess the, the question is, what is Melisandre's hinting at a future prediction or prophecy mean? That she and Varys both must die in Westeros. Well, Varys is probably going to die in Westeros. That's where he lives and everybody dies. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. Like, yeah, like, I will, like, I can predict that I will die in America. You so, never know, man. You never know. It's true. You never know. Exile could come before then. <laughs> um, but what, clearly she knows that she has some role to play that she's hinting at. Yeah. Is it going to be a good one? Is she going to – I mean there are hints that a lot of these characters can redeem themselves. Jorah can redeem himself by rescuing Danny. Um, uh, Theon we just talked about can redeem himself. Is, are we being set up for a redemption moment for Melisandre, the evil red queen – who red witch rather who, who burned uh, poor um, – what's her name? Shireen at the stake. Is there going to be a moment in which she does something, God help us, noble? Perhaps she also seems very remorseful in this scene yes. about what she did to Shireen. I did something bad. And Terrible she has mistakes. the form of magic she seems to have that she can kind of control. Whereas, you know, as we keep getting told by, you know, the Brotherhood Without Banners guy and by Melisandre, they don't decide when the Lord of Light comes to them. He just does or he doesn't. But she can make herself look young magically all the time. Yes. Let's not forget that the one time we see her take that necklace off. Yes. We then see her as like a very, very, very old woman. So if the innate magic she has has something to do with this ability to rejuvenate or some sort of youth, then maybe she does have to come back one more time and save John from dying one more time, save someone else. Right. She keeps saying saying that the Lord of Light keeps her around for some reason. And she seems to have more of an inclination of what that reason is than she's letting on so far. Yeah, I feel like odds are she will do something cool. And I also do just love the idea that there is a bigger storyline at play, right? Any reference to that, I'm sort of like, oh, thank God. Okay, this isn't all just like ridiculousness. Yes. You know? There's so, there, I'm glad somebody's in charge. Even exactly. If it's, even if it's, even <laughs> glad if, somebody knows what's going to happen. Even if it's the red god. <laughs> yeah. All right. Justin, do you have any questions, sir? Justin, our producer? I'll just say the only question I had is, is this the first time there's been like a senior loan negotiation on the show in the series or is this like – Oh, you missed the invention of of the insurance industry back in season three. That was great. Oh, yeah. There's a long – there's a serious subtext about like the, the creation of the financial sector. I have some uh, links to Economist articles that I'll send to you, Oh, yeah, you would like those very much. Matt Iglesias, who mainly writes these days about the destruction of the American government, uh, used to write some really great pieces about the economics of Westeros, which I I highly recommend if you can dig them up. I think he wrote them for Slate way back in the day. But, yeah, I mean, there, there are these bizarre hints that, like, there's this actual economic system. And I wonder about the Iron Bank. What else do they do besides uh, funding various uh, claimants for the throne? W- 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 slavery. Sla- oh, yeah. They're in the yeah, slave trade. They're in the slave trade. They do that, yeah. I don't know. That's about it, though. Cabbage, they, too. Do, a lot of are, cabbage. Do they, like, do, like, startups? Is that, like, a thing they do? Is there a venture capital yeah, Like, for example, whoever invented those flaming things that they're constantly shooting at each other? Did they get a nice loan? And why doesn't everybody use the flaming things that they're shooting at each other all the time? Yeah, Euron's very good at shooting the fire from the Uh, ship to the other ship. I know. And why doesn't everybody shooting flaming things? Because that seems like a really good way of killing a lot of people (laughs) in Westeros, much better than running up to them and hitting them with a piece of metal. And yet no one seems to do it unless, like, we're on a ship. It's like, oh, no, you can only use those on ships. Also, no. I will say to Miles' point last week, just another example this week of the fact that the citizens of King's Landing are not oh, very yeah, lovely that's people. True. Not no, worth saving. That's a good point. That, there, there, there good was point. There, there, when they were cheering uh, Euron for reasons that escape everybody. Yeah. My favorite tweet from yesterday was someone asking us, is Peter back or where are we going to have the smart guy again? <laughs> and with that, friends. We hey, really it was want one you. more thing. <laughs> no, there's really one more thing because oh, I no. lied. I did not go away to the woods last week. Oh. I didn't. I went to Old Town. <laughs> and I brought back something for Trisha oh, from good. Old Town. Yay. What? Oh, I totally forgot about this. Hand it over. So I'm, I'm giving a, bo- oh a little God, present from Old Town. Oh, it doesn't really make much of a no. jingle. What? What is it? What? I kept the <gasps> secret, Trisha. Oh, my God. You guys. It's a Meister it's chain. It's a Meister chain. 
Patricia has now been granted <laughs> her maester's chain. Oh my god! I checked with Peter with Archmaester Broadbent. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. And he said that, oh that you have earned earned. That's your beautiful. maester's chain. There's a link there for all of your skills, including note-taking. <laughs> There's one for West Wing quoting. And also, I think this is probably going to be part of my cosplay at the event, oh, which good. people should come I hang out with us. I, I should say that uh, it is not, sadly, uh, to scale. And I honestly, <laughs> yeah. I, I wished that you could buy, because the, the maester's chains in the show are enormous. Huge, yeah. I don't know how those guys walk around without being stooped over. But this is, this is, a, this is a miniature maester's chain, a more practical shall we say. All right, end credits. Let's get out of here. (laughs) Okay, we want you to join the conversation. Ask us a question. Suggest a topic for us to discuss in an upcoming episode. Call us. Leave us a voicemail. 312-948-4687. That number is on our Facebook if you haven't written it down. There's also a toll-free number that I'm also going to recite to you. It is 855-923-9993. You can find us online at wbez.org slash recaps. You can also use GOT nerdcaps as your little hashtag if you want to. We are at Nerd at Podcast on Twitter. Peter is at Peter Segel. I am. I am at Greta M. Johnson. Trisha is at Trisha Bobita. That's so many Twitter handles. I know. Well, you know, just in case they want to, like, hang out with us on Twitter. Absolutely, they should. And thanks to Chicken and Bird for writing us a really lovely <laughs> review on Apple Podcasts that helps spread the good word about the show. So thank you for that. The show is produced by us with excellent help from the most excellent Justin Bull. Our executive producer is Joel Meyer. And our theme music was composed by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. Only four more episodes. Is that true? Wow. That's so sad. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.